Are you the key master? Yes. I'm a friend of his. He told me to meet him here. I didn't get your name. I am Zul. I am the gatekeeper. Oh. What are we doing today, Zul? We must prepare for the coming of Gozer. Gozer, huh? The destructor. Are we still going out? You know, you could pick up the place if you're expecting someone. Do you want this body? Is this a trick question? I guess the roses worked, huh? Take me now, sub-creature. We never talk anymore. People of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Planboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. <laughs> Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy. I missed that, and you had to make up for like four episodes worth with that intro alone. <laughs> He's panting in the background now. <laughs> this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com and the Fanboy Planet podcast host. And we are podcasting on Wednesday, September 2nd, 2015, at about uh, quarter to eight p.m. Pacific time. So any news that comes out after that, we are not responsible for in this week's episode. I am so pleased to have welcomed back and heard the dulcet tones of our man in Los Angeles. I'm Nick Caster. Oh. And across from me, physically hosting at the Brett Cave As and podcast producer. I'm Rick Brett Snyder. And there we go. I almost went to reminding you to. I skipped to the end because I'm just <laughs> it's a, very short, short night. A, I'm just. <laughs> We've been busy. I'm just saying Nate's intro took like an hour just the way yeah. of, of carrying it out. Anyway, of course, you're probably listening to us uh, on iTunes. We hope, please, rate us, recommend us, review us. And I say rate us, the stars. That's how you get up near top on the on iTunes. And tell your it's friends. It's just a click away. If you enjoy the Fanboy Planet podcast, tell your friends. Uh, you can also do the same on the Stitcher app. Uh, and a variety of different outlets uh, there. You can also find, if there's anything we talk about on this show tonight, uh, we tried to put up a page that includes some links to items we've talked about. Um, and if you cannot find them at your local store, we have a handy-dandy Amazon link for you. Search box or direct link to items we've talked about. So please uh, use them, and we get a small kickback, and that is a very kind of Amazon. And you can also, if you just like us and you'd like to help pay for hosting, because... We do this pretty much for love, or at least uh, mild warmth and affection. Uh, you know, you can donate on the uh, P- 
PayPal link that is provided there as well. Uh, I also say, should say, I think I can legally do this once, is we did get a new sponsor a couple of weeks ago, Chameleon John. So you want to click on that as well and check that out. They offer uh, retail discount coupons online. Oh, so cool. um, they are paying for uh, sponsoring several episodes of the Fanboy Planet podcast. And so we thank Chameleon Very nice John. Of- Chameleon John. Chameleon, like the like the lizard, John. Okay. But there's a box right like there. Like Alligator on, Slim. There's or... right there on www.fanboyplanet.com where you may have also found this very podcast and you find those Amazon links. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, if you are screaming at your iPhone, uh, whatever device you're listening to this on, I, I listen to it like on my iPhone. just start screaming before we say well, anything. <laughs> It's only a matter of time, yeah. uh, and you and that you know the answer to something we're struggling to come up with. Please write into editor at fanboyplanet dot com. All that having been said, let us begin with this week's top top news story. Normally, we go comics, movies, TV. I've got one of those stories this week that encompasses everything. Yay! Uh, yay! It is actually. I think it's a good thing. But we'll see. Is that last night, the Hollywood Reporter, Variety, uh, and I think uh, something else, uh, Deadbeat. No, what's the Nikki Fink site? Broke. Uh, it's not called Deadbeat. Um, cool. Anyway, they broke the news that Deadline. Kevin Feige, uh, who is the head of Marvel Studios, has managed to pull an upset in the greater scheme of things in the Disney organization. Being that he has gone to top Disney executives, including Bob Iger, and convinced them that Marvel Studios should no longer have to answer to the head of Marvel, Ike Perlmutter, who um, you know brokered the sale and is uh, a huge uh, stockholder in Disney. And um, <clears throat> so, anyway, this is a very interesting change. It means... That uh, Ike Perlmutter still retains control over Marvel Television, but not Marvel Studios features. So Marvel Television being uh, Agents of Shield, all the Netflix stuff, the animation. So the Netflix stuff is in included with television. That's still television. Okay. So uh, there's suddenly a little schism there between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Television Universe. Mm-hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe now falls under Walt Disney Productions. So he's answering to Alan Horn, who is in charge. And and I, I'm wondering how long this had been bubbling under because, you know, uh, well, Ike Perlmutter is famously reclusive, as, as every article ever run on him in the last 15 years points out. The most recent photograph that anyone has of him <laughs> is 30 years old. Wow. And that he attends screenings in disguise and nice. is a penny pincher, shall we say, spendthrift, who criticizes, uh, who is criticized that a, a, some press screening, I think it was for the Winter Soldier, he uh, sent off a memo upsetting people that uh, press uh, got uh, refills on their Cokes. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's very, um, you know, he's very tight. Little, yeah. little and yet, wise. And, yet the, and yet the thing is, you know, uh, under his watch, Marvel went to Disney in the first place. Yeah. And uh, it's never been more popular as a, as a set of IPs. It's all because of the Coke strategy. Uh, it may have been. Uh, or the underprinting of trade paperbacks, the not reprinting issues for a long time. Huh. So, you know, who knows? I mean, and there are a couple of great books, uh, you know, you want to track it. But most recently, the, the true story of the history of Marvel by James Howe, right. I think. Um, 
And uh, so anyway, he's still in charge of television. He's still in charge of Marvel Comics. Now here's the big, the big rumor that broke today, and I think this is what Nate was was asking, if I was including this news, is that the creative committee that has dominated, uh, that we have long credited as the reason Marvel has worked, Marvel Studios has worked so well, is Joe Casada, Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, Dan Buckley and a couple of other people. Rumor is that's been disbanded. Now, someone asked Bendis's, Bendis on his Tumblr account today, and he posted and said um, <clears throat> that he is under an NDA, but uh, you shouldn't believe everything that is copy and pasted. Uh, you know, and so I thought, okay, interesting, because nice. you know that's just a rumor that's kind of it's as we say sure. often happens in comics journalism. Every site but us, because I didn't have time to actually, you know, post anything. Every site but us was was uh, talking, uh, was re- repeating the same source, right? Which is birth, birth, life, death. You should do a column called um, "Unreliable the, Source." Uh, unreliable source. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, I think we've actually got real things and real opinions no, to it, express. It, yeah. it, that's where you copy and paste whatever it is into the, into the. And we can create unreli- a live RSS feed of like yeah, unreliable okay. source. You unreliable know? source. It's All like right. that 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 uh, Twitter feed that uh, Salazar and, and oh the Star Wars Star Wars oh, episode seven rumors. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Uh, I wonder whatever happened to that one. That was funny it for a while. Kind of petered out. Yeah, uh, because we're getting too many solid things. And yeah. many, oh, does this mean John Boyega is a Jedi? Um, you know. So uh, yes, he is in real life. I don't know how he is in the movie, but he's really a he's Jedi. He's definitely levitated on stage at D twenty three. Yes, uh, that, <laughs> at least twice. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so you know the rumor why the creative committee would be disbanded is because they said it was kind of they they would get a bogged down on, on on details that weren't really important. Plus, they're also distracted by, when you look at it, Joe Quesada and Brian Michael Bendis alone writing like five or six books, Brian Michael yeah. Bendis. Quesada's running a comic book company. And uh, and Bendis, by the way, you know, Powers is going... I say they had, had it all... Well, Powers is going into season two, but they're saying that it was the creative committee and Ike Perlmutter was the reason that Edgar Wright left Ant-Man. They should hand it all over to Joss Whedon. No, I don't think that's gonna. That's never gonna happen now. Feige, and and Nate, you know, I, I just want to say because I've heard it, his name pronounced a variety of ways. I'm going with Feige from now on because that's how they pronounce it at D23. Mm-hmm. But uh, somebody I know in the previous podcast we have said Feige. Um, so I I don't know how, how you've heard it, but if you if you wish to correct me, speak now or hold your peace. Uh, I'll go with whatever they said at D23. Okay. Uh, you know, because they also had Stan Lee up and and expected him to read a script from a distance. So, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> Their judgment may have been a little suspect. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Kevin Feige is now in place, and and it's interesting because I said I, I need to write an article. Is one thing that I really noticed is is there was an article I can't remember which site ran this like a month or two ago. Um, I read a lot, and it it feeds on onto my my Facebook feed. I befriend, you know. I like all their pages, so I see a lot of the news come through. And one of the things was how it was the defense of why Joss Whedon left, uh, or, or the or, or an attack on why J- Joss Whedon had to leave Marvel, and why Edgar Wright walked is that Marvel's become a bigger machine; it's not room for creativity. And they were laying it all on Kevin Feige, and I realized that one of the things is that, especially within the Disney Corporation, everybody wants to be Walt. They're jockeying to be who that person who's working will the be. week today. 
who's gonna who's gonna hold the public's imagination as a personality? Yeah. Joss couldn't do it because he was a writer director. He wasn't an executive. Walt was the complete package. Although in hindsight, you know, really wasn't that great a draftsman. So he wasn't that great an artist. And apparently, and I've got to watch this documentary. Uh, Ub Iwerks' granddaughter made a documentary about Ub Iwerks, who was an early animator for for Walt Disney. And in it, somewhere they found a quote from Walt that said, basically, if Ub could talk to people, it would have been his studio. Yeah. And you know, but but Walt was the was the showman. Well, you know, you know the reference I just made. Who's wearing the wig today? You know that one? No, so I didn't actually understand what you said. On, on, among the the creatives who were working for Walt when it was a small studio, Walt would choose a favorite every now and then. That'd yeah. be the fair-haired boy, and so people would come into the office and say, "So, who's wearing the wig today?" Oh, the fair hair. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the fair-haired boy. We're. Yeah, that, that that's a phrase that's gone. Like Katie yeah. Bar, I earlier said, Katie Bar the door. Katie Bar the door. Um, you know, phrases that no one uses anymore. And the fair-haired boy. You just got gumption. <laughs> I got gumption. Uh, I got moxie. I like that kid. He's got moxie. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, Walt was the showman, and I think that the thing is, like Michael Eisner tried to do that in the eighties and nineties, and you know, but there was special effect. Foley's. Thank you. That was that was the sound of Michael Eisner's career. Uh, um, yes, um, that uh, the so I don't. I, what I was trying to figure out was like who comes the closest, and I thought maybe George Lucas did, but he's too much of an introvert. Yeah, Jim Henson was close, but he had to speak through puppets. And I'm not saying that as a. I'm not. <laughs> I don't saying, know if he actually did that in meetings. So I got to do a thing on online and <laughs> Facebook uh, uh, earlier about the Jim, new Jim, Muppet come show. Back off, yeah. You know, uh, so I when I realized I'm arguing the off-screen lives of Kermit and Miss Piggy, and I'm like, no, they got pretty meta, and I'm pretty sure, and I know that if you talked, if you interviewed about the Muppets, yeah. you interview the Muppets. And that's one of the things that they've said is actually, like celebrities, nobody will look at the puppet- Muppeteer. They will talk directly to the to the puppet and, and not even acknowledge there's a person there. And they don't even realize they've done it. Yeah. So, like, apparently... I think it was the BBC tried to interview Kermit, and they couldn't figure out why the sound was so low when they played it back. With the microphone, the because the microphone was in, was in Kermit's mouth, and it just hadn't occurred to anybody he wasn't real. Um, I mean, he is; he is totally real. But anyway, the point is that you know there were these creatives that could have been Walt Disney, but they were too introverted, or they spoke through something else. Right? Eisner was just honestly too unpleasant seeming a man. Bob Iger's close, and I think you know Kevin Feige is someone who's had his eye on that, and he's a fanboy. The thing that made Kevin Feige, yeah, got my heart. I you know got me on his side this year at D twenty three, and it has been some bad press about him, and people have blamed him for Joss wanting to leave, which Joss is wanting to leave because Joss has been doing Marvel's bidding for three years, and he's a creative on his right, own. Right, he, you know he needs to. He get, snuck a couple other films in yeah, at the same time, but he needs he needs freedom, as he said, to create yeah. his own universe again. Uh, and why you know so Feige's been blamed for that, but when he said he had been at the first D twenty three as a fan, right. sitting where we were, and I went, yeah, that's right, it was before Marvel was bought. So yeah, he's got the credit. That's cool. I bet the line was shorter too. <laughs> I bet only five people showed up, yeah, exactly. three of whom had to wait outside for three hours <laughs> and try to figure out who could Just, scan the damn ticket. Yes. Um, so. Sorry, that was a little. Did that still see through? I you, you were, I don't know you what were happened repressing. there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, so Nate, do you have anything to add to that story? Am I missing anything out of that? Uh, I would just say regarding like 
people leaving because they can't be creative. I don't want people to be creative on a Marvel <laughs> film. The stuff is already created. Well, when you have people trying to be creative, that's when you end up with Fantastic Four. That's when you end up with Spider-Man 3. That's when you end up with the stuff that's not controlled by Marvel. Well, there are two things we know about this. Because people are going nuts thinking, well, yeah, this story already exists, but I'm going to add my own personal touch to it. Yeah, I think there's a difference between being creative and and having to create something Putting new. Putting a spin. And, and Feige, some stuff has come out, and I, I had heard this before, between Feige and, and Perlmutter, was that it was uh, Feige who was trying to broker the deal, although I get credit also to Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield uh, was the one was also pushing for Sony and Marvel to make up and mm-hmm. to bring uh, Spider-Man into. And I'll just jump the gun on this story because I forgot to write it down. Dude wants to be in the Avengers movie. No, no. What he said when someone asked him now, like, how does he feel about somebody else taking the role? He said it was too big for me because yeah. I couldn't be everybody's Spider-Man. But I'm so excited for the next movie because then I get to be a fan again and just watch it. And apparently, like when he made that great speech at Comic-Con when he showed up in the Spider-Man suit and unmasked yeah. and revealed yeah. himself, he said, totally his idea, Marvel, Sony, no one wanted him to do it. And so I give I give Andrew Garfield all props for being a total fan, yeah. total class act, yeah. and absolutely handing the passing the baton and going, great, I get to just enjoy it, that's awesome. And anyway, but Feige was the one who was really pushing from the Marvel side to bring Sony back. Um, that uh, that Feige, you know, the rumor is now, well, Feige can make peace with Fox because it's all Perlmutter who is annoyed, but Feige can broker it between Marvel Studios and Fox and at least get some some modicum of, of control back or input from Marvel Studios on what Fantastic Four and X-Men should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we shall see. Um, oh, it is also that uh, Perlmutter wanted Downey out, and it, and it was uh, Feige who who negotiated that last appearance and, and getting into Captain America: Civil War, which is really Avengers two point five. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that again. But you know, I, I am trusting Feige's vision, and I and I see what Nate is saying. And one of the things that has been that Feige has been on record of saying is like he when he got hired on to to work on it, Marvel Studios way back when with X the first X Men is like. He hadn't read a comic book. Then he read the comics and went, not only are these great, it's all here. It's all here. Yeah. And so I, I really feel like th- there there's potential for greatness. Uh, there's a potential for it to go horribly wrong because now there's a guy who has fought the, the scariest person within the halls of Disney and won. <laughs> so he might feel a little untouchable. This story could go either way. In the future, but I think that you know, Civil War is going to be great. I think Doctor Strange is going to be great. I think you're far enough along with the, with Infinity War, th- you know, Avengers three and four. I don't see where there's going to be a lot to go wrong. No, you know, so I'm hoping no, they're making they're making brilliant moves, and I'm excited about every <laughs> practically every month in 2016, right? Yeah, and I I, I want to pop up that you know if Feige's uh, booking for uh, you know bucking to be the next Walt. Um, I also want to say Bob Iger should be, hmm. but he I I don't think he wants it. I think he's just there, um, but he's so self-effacing. So I think we talked about that last week with Sal Pizarro. That if you haven't listened to that, we had you know Mercury News columnist Sal Pizarro on uh, that uh, that Bob Iger is just so self-effacing and so comfortable 
clearly the most comfortable executive up on that stage at D23. So, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, he's absolutely at peace with himself. And every time he says, I'm extending, I, you know, he said he was going to step down in 2017, I think. And then they extended it to like 2019. I'm like, good. I don't want you to step down. I don't no, want he, a succession that plan. That was his house. You, know? you have to have a succession plan because what if something yeah. happens? I mean, that's, ha- that's what happened with Disney in the 80s when Frank Wells was being groomed and, and was killed in a plane crash. And then suddenly Eisner's got no voice of reason against him, you know, so uh, that he trusts. So you do have to have a succession plan. But still, Iger's, Bob Iger's too young. He should not be stepping down, and he's oh, he's allowing people to make the right decisions, and that's and that's, that's the thing of a good leader, right? So, let's get to comics, shall we? I think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, I want to give love to uh, before we. Yeah, I think we've talked enough about Marvel for the moment. Uh, to Valiant, uh, a company that uh, I we did not give enough love to early on, and now, of course, it's. You know, with Sony, the second coming of Valiant, uh, the second coming of Valiant, uh, that they uh, apparently there's a, a Comics Pro Day of the Small Comic Book Store uh, event coming in November, uh, and what they did weren't counting as comic book stores. We haven't talked about this in a while. That that chain called Hastings, uh, I think not they're mostly in Texas. No, they're not. On, I, I don't think they're on the West Coast. I think I think there's a couple in Nevada and Arizona that, that get close to us. But there's 140 stores in the chain. And they have a diamond account, and they're big. And they were, and they a few years ago tried. They're like, I guess, what Tower Records and books used to be, or what Media Play. Only they're they're still around, uh, and they're successful. And they one of the things they positioned themselves as was your local comic book shop in cities that didn't have comic book shops. And uh, so apparently, here's the map of all the Hastings. Uh, yeah, stories. I know I've looked it up once. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. Right, it's like everything's west of Nevada is empty. Yeah. But they're all over, like, Las Vegas, San Diego. Yeah. So, so, so well, that's in Nevada, Las Vegas. So. Yeah. Well, I mean... There's one in San Diego? Yeah. I didn't know. Well, road trip. I said west of Nevada. So, the... Uh, yeah, they do kind of... They're kind of central south clustering in down through Florida. It looks like a weather map. Uh, Is there one in San Diego? The uh, well, it looks Rick's like saying it looks like saying there's no, not the, one within no, there's 200 labeled, miles. San Diego, here. San Diego is labeled. But it and there's a point that is not labeled, so I was misreading the. Uh, ah, I was misreading it. So it's, it's Barstow. It's directly. It's I think it's in Arizona, just right at the border. Okay. So there are a few in the Southwest, uh, but anyway, there's 140 of the stores totally, and the, the Comics Pro said basically you can have this event, but but the rule was no Hastings. So Hastings has reached out, and they're going with Valiant. They're doing from. September 19th to October 10th. And as you can tell from our conversation, we are nowhere near a Hastings, so we have no way. So this is an offer to any listener to write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. If you uh, listen uh, if you listen, and if you attend one of these, they're doing events every Saturday called The Craft of Comics. And they're live streaming into each of their stores a workshop with a penciler and inker. And I think a letterer as well, uh, or a colorist, so that and then there everybody who attends will get the will get like a a workbook, and they're going to have a contest competition, and people can enter their art and uh, you know get a chance to get some kind of prize to encourage them through. And I think it's one, it's a great way to build community. The other hand is I know a lot of local shops are uh, if you're your small, single or or double you know 
shops. I say double because like those that have two uh, shops in the chain. It's not yeah. really a chain; it's only two. Uh, you know that they are doing that. I know the comic comic bug down in Manhattan Beach and uh, Culver City uh, that my our friend Mike Wellman runs uh, co owns. Uh, that they have like artists thing. I know that uh, Earth Two does that. They have I can't remember what they do. You remember what they call that society, uh, Nate, where they bring in kids on Saturdays and let them draw. And they have an artist come and instruct them. At Earth Two, yeah. scroll, scroll. Yes, the agents of scroll, um, super scroll, super scroll. So they have that that club, and uh, I, I know that Elusive Comics is doing something along those lines as well. Uh, and then they have them for adults. There are drink and draws at Comic Bug, and I don't think Earth 2 does that, but I think Elusive is is talking about that. Um, so there are a variety. Uh, you know, I, Those are the ones I know of because they're friends. They're people that I, I keep in touch with. Uh, I'm sure there are many, many other shops across the country doing this kind of thing. But I think it's just like Barnes & Noble was doing it. Having uh, July was all nerd month. Every day was some yeah. kind of... You know, fandom related thing. There was a Doctor Who day. There, there, there was a girls, girl geek day, and and I, you know, I think it's great. Anything that builds community because that's why people go. As we've pointed out, you can go to Comicsology, you can go to Marvel, Marvel's Digital Comics Unlimited. You can download digitally all these things, but but comic sales have gone up because people like going to a physical location. And having a sense of, as I used to used to say, is like cheers. Everybody knows your name. Everybody knows who you are. You make your friends there, and show up. So if Hastings is building part of that community, okay. Uh, I've never been to one, but if you go to one of these craft of comics uh, workshops, we'd love to hear about it. Um, you can find your Hastings store at gohastings.com. gohastings.com. There we go. And Firefly is coming back. We were talking about Just Whedon to Dark Horse as an ongoing book. Nice. There had been that Leaves on the Wind uh, miniseries, and there have been a couple of miniseries through them yep. uh, and one-shots, but now it's going to be ongoing. Uh, Georges Yanti, who had been the artist on Buffy, is is the artist on this, which I think he, he's a technically accomplished artist. My problem had been on Buffy that you couldn't tell who anybody was. Especially the women. His likenesses were not great, but his layouts are really good, so yeah. I, I can I can see why people would be excited about that, but I thought it was worth noting. Uh, speaking of universes that uh, Joss Whedon created, uh, there is one there coming back to comics, Dark Horse, and we'll probably be coming back to circling back to Dark Horse a little bit later tonight. Uh, last week we did talk about the two million dollar loss that uh, DC is entering, and they're claiming that the Batgirlization is over, and we're going back to meat and potatoes. But actually, Dan DiDio and Jim Lee responded to that last week and said you know there's a there as as we speculated last week there are a lot of factors that have nothing to do with the sales and they haven't had a chance to really mm-hmm. get behind them they're at least going to go through those six issues there were some series that have been promised 12 that might not get 12 but i don't think that's a sign of a huge editorial redirection it's a sign of that's just business you six don't and out you know you know yeah that's that should be enough. So anyway, they they also similar to, I don't think they use Bendis's phrase of "don't believe everything you that can be copy and pasted," but it was uh, again kind of that feeling of you know there are a lot of reasons. Now, one thing that that somebody on Bleeding Cool claimed had been a former marketing executive at, D- at DC, and I thought it's an interesting point. I don't necessarily agree with this. Is that one of the things that have that killed DC? Why there's this loss and downturn is that uh, it's the movies that 
movies of their perennial mainstay graphic novels have killed the sales because people their are books. getting what they need from the movies and right. from the media. There is a Watchmen movie. There is a 12 right. you know the entire Watchmen is done as a motion comic available easily on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can watch the Watchmen movie. You can watch the Dark Knight uh, the Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year 1 have been adapted and animated. Right. Pretty perfectly, and I would ca- I would say also in the case of Under the Red Hood, uh, was like even much improved upon the original uh, series, uh, five or six issues, whatever that Judd Winnick had originally done in Detective. You know, mm-hmm. so um, explaining the- a- explaining Jason Todd's return, uh, and and I say Judd Winnick wrote that, so he was freed of continuity and had to tell the story the best way it could. So in a couple of cases, I'll, I'll vouch, they're better. Um, yeah. And I thought about that and went, you know, Marvels have never, the animated just never seemed to have the cultural impact uh, that the that the DC direct to animation does. I, I think even now, despite there being really good shows like Avengers Assemble, Guardians of Galaxies coming to animation, but they don't they don't hit on an emotional level. No, but they're, but they're, they're also they're also not action. They're also not direct literal adaptations right. of specific stories. Like you can say, upcoming we'll have Captain America: Civil War. Right. You had Captain America: The Winter Soldier, but they were just taking the titles of events that people knew and fitting a story. Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. Age of if you Ultron, try to pick yeah. up that trade paperback, Civil War, I think was a that good, will make no was sense. A good refit. It's a, well, I mean, I'm saying it is a yeah. refit. It's not yeah. bogged down by 50 years of continuity. Right. It's, uh, you know. Well, there was so much in in the comic Civil War where they showed flashbacks of him, many more issues with how, and Natasha was more involved in his story and all that other stuff. Right. So, you know. By the way, there's another one there there that is, uh, you know, Ike Perlmutter uh, is rumored to be the reason that Black Widow never had a toy. Hmm. So now Disney gets to market. Wait a minute, wait a minute. She was never marketed as a toy. The character probably had plenty of toys. Maybe not, no. She had a gun. Yeah. You really ought to to write down what you say first and look at it before you say it. Um, uh, Anyway. uh, I'm going to have a little macro. She doesn't get any toys. No. uh, Why there is no Black Widow marketing that he's uh, not licensing her out. but now that the movies are separate, at least Scarlett Johansson can be licensed out. Because because he doesn't have the right... Ike Perlmutter didn't have the right there because Toy Biz stopped making the toys. It's uh, Hasbro now is the Marvel license. Mattel has DC. Yeah. Right. So Hasbro has the Marvel license and the Marvel movies. So now that's, some, that's in the hands of Disney, not in the hands of Marvel. So that's interesting. Uh, so let's play... That segment of the show we like to call What's in the Bag? What's in the Bag? He sounds better in the bathroom. Mary Jane sleeps through this? No, she's not here. Oh, oh, that's right. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I even noticed that on Facebook today. So, oh, l- listen to you just clearly having a good time. I can be as loud as I want. Within reason. Yeah. That's why it's echoing. There's no other people in there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Normally, the wife and child absorb some of that sound. Well, we have full, that. unfettered Nate tonight. Okay. Wow. 100% live Nate. Okay. So, uh, we're going to play then. What's in the bag? Nate, did you get a chance? I know you've been busy, but did you get a chance to run to the store? 
Uh, not this week, but there was only one book I would have gotten, which okay. was Future Imperfect, number five. Oh. Hmm. But I will share a bag story, since I've been gone so long. Well, be- before, have you been reading the, the uh, Future Imperfect line? Uh, I read the first two, maybe? Oh, like, so number five the... is what just came out, so right. I'm behind. But the big reveal was in number three. Okay, I haven't seen any big reveal yet. Okay. We won't. I won't go there. So I won't don't spoil do it, it for yeah. you. Please don't. Don't spoil that. Okay. Uh, but my special bag item. So, Savage Dragon two oh six just came out. Right. Oh, I know this story. Eric Larson did a special limited. Well, I don't know how limited it is, but it's a special variant cover for a burger place in Berkeley called Oscars that he tends to. He drops his kid off at school goes over to Oscars and works drawing and writing and enjoys a burger and fries. So they're closing around the end of the summer. They've been there for... I think this is the end of the summer, Nate. Well, further in. Okay. Uh, <laughs> later, later in the summer. It's September! Okay, anyway, go ahead. Okay, so they're still not closed yet, but they're closing maybe closer to the end of the year, I guess. Uh, so anyway, they have this uh, only available at Oscars variant cover. And... I asked my brother, who lives in San Francisco, if he could go get me one. He's like, I'm not going to Berkeley. I'm like, great. So I posted on Facebook, hey, do I know anybody that's going to be in the Berkeley area that can do this? And my buddy Anthony, who I went to college with, was like, I go to Berkeley all the time. I live in San Fran, which to me was lives. Yes, I can't even drive over there. (laughs) But uh, he just happened to be going. And one of the accountants that I worked with on Playing House is from the Bay Area, and he was also going to be in the Berkeley area. So you got And so Anthony went to Oscars, had a burger. They gave him a discount. He bought me two copies of the comic. He met up with Wayne, the accountant, in San Francisco because Wayne was at dinner. He's like, He's like, well, I live in San Francisco, so I'll be right by there. Yeah. So if he dropped them off with Wayne, Wayne gave him money. Wayne brought them with him back down to L.A. I met up with Wayne, gave him money. Only in Hollywood, kids. I'm reminded of that <laughs> the, the scenes in Ant-Man where it's people <laughs> yeah. talking about stuff, and it's the one guy's voice. And it was thing. all narrated by. Uh, <laughs> speaking as we were of Ben Costa, I just saw on Facebook last week, and we should talk about this briefly. Oh, maybe, yeah. You know, is that I saw he's writing and drawing a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story. He is. He's doing uh, – he did that cover for – TMNT animated adventures, right? And he, and he had a page in the in the uh, Stan Sakai project, right? I believe they put him in the book. Yes. yes. So I mean, IDW has paid attention to him. Dark Horse has paid attention to him, and here it is. He's got a story coming up. Do we know what issue? He does not know the issue, and he does not know the release date yet. Well, he's just doing it, isn't he? He's just but hoping. no. Okay. He may know. Uh, he may know. He may be having a, a signing at Hijinks when it comes out. Awesome. So is is now one of them's dropped out. Is it Eastman or Laird? Is one of them still writing? I don't think either one of them writes the animated adventure. I thought they had I I thought one of them started writing back to it, but 
Okay. I think it's I think it's I think it's Laird's back. Eastman's was busy with heavy metal for a while and okay. doing something else and you know, so um well that's cool. So we should say that. We were in the middle of what's in the bag when I so rudely interrupted with the Ben Costa story. So uh next would be Rick. What's in your bag? Oh the first book I have right here is issue number three this of This has been taunting me all evening. Of a book called Eight House, which is on this issue it's very stylized, but that's a, the number eight followed by the word house. Oh, okay. This I've is seen number, that title. I thought it was three. Kim. And Kim is the story in this. This is a new image imprint, uh, Im- image book. Um, this is obviously the third issue, but it's shorter stories that are being highlighted in this kind of like an anthology. So it is an anthology. Title. Yeah, it's one I- one story per issue, or the first sure. first two issues were one story. This is a, I think this is a one shot. Um, what what got to me is just this cover is just lovely it is so mobius it, i was just gonna say it looks very mobius to me and the inside looks very much the same um i'm really looking forward to look it's kind of like super uh geo, geo, geometric pueblos carved out of rock and then robots and i've just flipped through it, it looks really intriguing so um it looks like it has a cyborg cat in it oddly enough debbie was the one who found an article on this and pointed it to me so my lovely wife uh, extended my comic book buying this week, and she probably will be uh, not regretting that, but uh, amused to hear it. So that's it, uh, Kim. I just like that we've gotten to the House point where I see that a lot. That Debbie will actually point out things to both of us on Facebook. Yeah, and hey, did you guys hear about this? You know, and I just think it's funny. And they go, "But <laughs> you won't. You don't want to read it." <laughs> what the? Why the marriage works? All right, that's great. Um, I'm going to give love to, we'd, I'd done an interview at, at Comic-Con with, uh, with Paul Cornell and Tony Parker on this Dark Horse book, This Damned Band. And uh, so the second issue came out today, so I picked this up and managed to go back because I realized I'd read the first issue because Dark Horse sent it to me in a PDF, but uh, I had not bought it. So I was able to go back and get number one as well. And I think some stores have a few copies left, uh, although it apparently has been selling really well. And it's sort of a, a spinal tap uh, meets The Exorcist. That's a horrible description of it. But as Paul Cornell said in the interview, it's as if this band in the 70s, the greatest rock band in the world that is that is worshipping the devil, finds out much to their surprise that they've actually been worshipping the devil. And so it's a funny book. It's very, uh, but very steeped in kind of that 70s glam rock and heavy metal early days. It reminds me of Val Mayrick. There's that. He changes up his style. Tony yeah. Parker changes up his style where he needs to uh, because there's a very um, heavy sec- segment of, of a manga influence because it, uh, some of it takes place in Japan. Yeah. So it just becomes that, you know. And it's uh, the first issue was really fun, and I'm really looking forward to the second. So That's I love the Dark Horse issues. Six, uh, there's a six-issue six six. Six six six. series. Six-issue miniseries. Telling the story of this damn band, cool. so that's great. Uh, Nate, was there anyone else? Anything else you wanted to spotlight? Or should I go back to Rick? Mm, not that I can think of. All right, so I'm done with my bag. Oh, that was a small bag. Did you? Did, you, did they bring you a burger too? No, no uh, burger. See, that's disappointing. All that right. would have been gross. Thought <laughs> like God gave us microwaves. So, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> wow. So this is uh, what I've got right now in my hand is Mockingbird number one, celebrating 50 years of S.H.I.E.L.D., which this is uh, the first of a series of one-shots that are kind of spin-outs 
it's it's hard to say whether or not this is uh, this is a book based on the Mockingbird character who is not called Mockingbird in the Agents right, of Shield. Right. She's Bobby Morse, which is the name of Mockingbird. Um, so it's a one shot. There are several others. There's going to be one for Sky, and there's one for Coulson, and um, of course, Fifty Years of Shield being the the anniversary of the first appearance of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think in Strange Tales. Um, and this also has the thrilling debut of the Red Widow, which uh, I didn't know that going into this, so I haven't done my research, but I'm guessing this is one of the one of the the Widow parallels that mm-hmm. appeared in the Max Magazine line a few years ago. Yeah, there were, well, I mean, it was long. It was established in Max that, which has been picked up by the movies and by Agent, by uh, right. Agent Carter, that it's a whole school. Right. That we just w- Natasha is the one who defected, if you will. But are they all supposed to be called Black Widow? Then yes. Okay. They were all called Black Widows. So this is a one who is. But this is sort of like Daleks now. Yeah, it's better for trademark purposes to, have to give them, to have, you know. Yeah. Also, why we have indigo lanterns? I think she's. I think she's breaking out of the black widow m- mode, and she's just adopting the red. I'm widow. waiting for the indigo. So, widow. Um, I'm going to go. I I don't know if you picked this up, Rick. DC Comics bombshells. No, this, I didn't. So I missed the first. I-, I mean, I got the first issue, but we weren't podcasting at the time. And we talked about this when we had Amber Benson mm-hmm. on the show. Uh, so I, I believe this is so this is based on those variant covers. Yes. You know, where they were doing DC bombshells. And they turned it into a book. And uh, the figurines. Written by and... Marguerite Bennett. Uh, what caught my attention for this one is that Ted Knife, uh, whose oh. work we've enjoyed, is doing mm-hmm. uh, a story, uh, drawing a story in here. Gloom Mar- cookie. Marguerite uh, Bennett is writing the whole thing. But it is interesting alternate origins in a World War II where because all the men logically went off to war, it's the the women who become the only thing I didn't like in the first issue was a little cutesy that Batgirl was a joke stolen from the uh, I should say stolen repurposed from um, when John Cleese wrote the Superman uh, Elseworld story. I don't know if you ever read that. I never read that. That the Batman in that one was a cricket bat. It was a guy with a cricket bat nice. stuck through him. So Batgirl here is really more of a baseball player. So it's like a league of her own. Okay. You know, the, the women's league. Uh, so she actually carries a baseball bat instead. But she does the bat symbol and wears masks. Um, but it is repurposing. Like, these are the way the ca- you know the characters, sort of, but then put back into 1942. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so they're retelling origins of Wonder Woman. Well, actually, the Wonder Woman origin made a lot more sense here <laughs> than it did than it has in any retelling you know before. Um, so uh, it's kind of interesting. This is going to be a team where actually the first time we see Batwoman is that she actually stops the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. So Batman will never exist in this in this reality. I don't know how long this is going to last, uh, but it's an interesting book and worth picking up. Uh, despite the title of the bombshells and obviously the kind of the good girl art that was the pinup art that was the original this story is very clearly moving well past that and it's fun and interesting and it's got a good origin for power girl as well good beat you can so, dance to it I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lessen it there i think it's just a, it's an interesting book and by having each chapter be illustrated by someone else because like i said it's a digital first uh-huh. a, you know one of those eight eight page 99 cent books they do online um I think it's interesting and worth a look, and we'll see how long it lasts. These are the kinds of things that uh, that I like DC doing, so I'm bringing that up. Go ahead. Terrific. 
Uh, the Last Days of the Silver Surfer, uh, issue number 14 of this series, which has been uh, penned by Dan Slott and drawn by Michael and Laura Allred through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm picking this issue up with a little bit of a tear in my eye. I hope they bring this this whole concept back. This has been Marvel's version of Doctor Who for 14 issues, yeah. including the companion and the kind of alien outlook on all these various human yeah. and alien things. What a wonderful, wonderful I just reread trip the, this I just been. reread the previous story they did because we're going through Marvel Comics Unlimited and it showed up at the end of the last Superior Spider-Man issue. Yeah. And it just reminded me how well, you know, Slot and Allred and, and the Allreds, you're right, both of them, uh, which I think they kind of co-plotted with them too, is like it was so obvious from that story that this was Silver Surfer recast as Doctor Who. Uh, but also it was everything, captured everything that is why Doctor Who captures the imagination. Yeah. You know, in a very positive way. So I, And, and I, his companion was terrific. Uh, her backstory is wonderful. The, the She is an impossible girl type as yeah. well. There's some surprises there. And then you get some things that you've never seen in in Silver Surfer. He can he can silver down. He can yeah. become Norrin Rad again. And when he does, food tastes different and amazing to him. And sensations are different. Yeah. And it's just it just opened up a character who has been a Marvel mainstay since the '60s, and and just made him all new and fresh. It's a, it's and, a, but it, still true to what was going. It's on. It's a truly different take on the character, yeah. as opposed to like when. Uh, Keith Giffen and Kevin McGuire did that uh, Defenders where the, where the Silver Surfer discovered surfer culture mm. for the first time. You know, I mean, it was funny, yeah. but it's not the Silver Surfer. Right. But this doesn't betray who the Silver no, Surfer not was while adding a whole new dimension. And you still have the thing where he used to be the Herald. Yeah. And so and every now and then people are scared of him because they know he's the Herald. And when, she, when his companion finds out what he did, she has a big problem with that. So they have to deal with that. It was a, just a well, solid, really solid good. book. I will be buying this in a collected edition, no doubt. I think I'm when it comes have to, out, yeah, as well. Uh, so I'm torn. What do I do? Um, I think just because this book needs love, uh, and I know it's yeah. on your stack as well. Yeah, I bought it. Too. And this is and this is my favorite. Um, I'm so ha- happy. Uh, this is the thrilling adventure hour presents Beyond Belief number two. There've been quite a few months in between issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the story is there, but um, people. Uh, of all the segments of, of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, this has got to be hands down my favorite, beyond yes. belief. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite story in the gra- uh, graphic novel that they had done mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Arkea a couple, a couple well, of summers ago. you can't beat ago. the characters. They're just so well thought out. They're so well written. So for the comics, we just say they're so well written. But if you listen to the Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh, and I hope that someday they get their that's to come off the ground... Uh, with uh, Paul F. Tompkins and uh, Paget Brewster, uh, they're so well inhabited. Well, they are. They are a pair. They are. They complete each other. It's. It's. it's you know. It, they're. They're just magnificent characters, and and it's funny. And Phil Hester is doing the art. Um, some things under the bed are dueling. Um, Frank and Sadie nice. Doyle. I, I. You know. I always I just, great puns from Image. This is, yeah, they always are. You got, I'm sorry, you, I've said it wrong. It should be, some things under the bed are dueling. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, so, uh, welcome to Beyond Belief. Uh, and so, uh, I really recommend this, this, this book, the second issue. Uh, what I've heard, and from my limited surveying, and I'm going to start looking around, 
Uh, but I did go to Elusive and said it was kind of the sleeper hit. What happened was that the first issue was ordered and on its release date didn't sell all that well, but its reputation built. And I think yeah. it's like the podcast. The thing is that once people have discovered the, beyond, the podcast, the, which the is thrilling adventure the pod- thrilling adventure hour is now done as far as the way what the, the way what they, they used to be doing, yeah. and what they had been doing, uh, they're moving to comics. They're trying to put it into other media. Um, you know, once people discover that and they can go back into those back, back episodes and listen and then see that there's a comic, this in Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars, mm-hmm. they're fun. I can't get Luke into Sparks, Nevada, and I think the reason why is it's too cartoony in the art by Jay Bone. Uh-huh. I like it. But I get that, like, you know, I wonder if they could have taken a less cartoony approach. Sparks is all about relationships, too, though. But, and it's also about the delivery. Yeah. You know, whereas I think the, I think the writing, the jokes in Beyond Belief are just, are they're, as, they're, strong, they're strong enough yeah. on the page. Yeah. Um, whereas I think a lot of it, a lot of Sparks Nevada, you're right, is, is in the performance because I cannot read Croach without. Onus, you know, exactly. I, without hearing uh, Mark Agliardi's voice doing it, and Mark Evan Jackson is, I, it's like I will, I will go. <laughs> this is sad now. I will watch any bad sitcom, any uh, a- any movie that I find out Mark Evan Jackson is in because I love his delivery. Oh yeah, he's not one of those actors who who changes up very much no. in between. He even makes fun of that when they're talking about getting but, the role. But he's always funny. You know, he's the, he's uh, Andre Brower's husband on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And uh, what did I, else did I just see? Him? He's in 22 Jump Street. And it's just, his delivery is so dry and strangely self-effacing. Uh, but... We're going to focus on that. Beyond belief, number two, I'd say go down to the stores. You, you got to. I know. I'm. I'm going to say you got to do the one that's currently on top of the stack because that's noteworthy. Uh, this, is, which I did run a piece on Family Planet when this was coming out. They finally, in Marvel's reprinting of Miracle Man, they have gotten to the point where it is Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's run on the book, which means this is issue number one what, of that run, which is uh, the Golden Age, right? Is the beginning, yeah. and then it's the Silver Age, and so. Um, this is Alan Moore's run had stopped. He had brought this, the point of uh, Mike Moran, if you're not familiar with, the, with his Captain Marvel Shazam uh, British takeoff, which uh, you know came back around. Uh, and this is the book that I think one of the books that really launched and cemented Neil Gaiman's career. I think he was already writing Sandman at that point. Yeah, I think but so. but he hadn't really become in. I know he had not yet released Good Omens, uh, so he yeah. had not cemented in people's mind that he was anything other than this comics writer. Had an a writer idea to with be Sandman. Reckoned. Sandman. He is a writer to be reckoned with, and his take on Miracle Man, which was you know, um, as Car D'Angelo said a while back, when you uh, the problem with Miracle Man getting reprinted now, and I have I really don't know what its sales were for Marvel. Yeah. Um, is that so much of what Alan Moore did has been taken by other media already. Like, you know, the the Miracle Man versus Kid Miracle Man fight, which devastated London. Right. That's Man of Steel. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, but the imagery is elsewhere, so it's yeah. almost like it has it passed. But what Neil Gaiman was doing with, uh, with Miracle Man of saying, okay, now you've got the Superman or the Captain Marvel or whatever, who's the basically the harbinger of... And a new age. futuristic alien technology, a new age, and he's going to insist that mankind treat each other with love yeah. and kindness. 
and he started to tell the story of how that really isn't going to work out so well because there's always a snake in the Garden of Eden. As a serpent, let me say, because it's not really a snake in the original translation, right? There's always a serpent in the garden. And there are sins from the past that will still come back to haunt. Mm -hmm. And so he built this utopia and it's falling apart and becoming a dystopia. And before he could really explain where it was going to go, Eclipse Comics went out of business. It's, it's an interesting it's an interesting story to follow for a couple of reasons you, you touched on Gaiman he, re- he really tells a new mythology he's got he's got yeah. this character that was a superhero but now he's something more than that he's a god I think you got to look at what Buckingham did with their with the page layouts and the way everything is everything is expressed visually which they're both breaking ground here and it's, and this it's is Buckingham amazing. who just finished up this fantastic run on fables. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, uh, just a, a master of the craft. This is where he was cutting his teeth. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go back and see how someone began, but you're also seeing two creators that, if you want to say this, before they were at the top of their game, they were still at the top of their game. They were dang good right yeah. from the from the outset. So, you know, they came out of the gates really strongly. And this is... Uh, you know, so this is a reprint of material that has that has been out of print for a long time. But if you follow through from here, it's going to get to new material. Buckingham and, and, and Gaiman have been working to finish the story for a couple of years now to get it all done and ready. So this is where to pick up. I would agree with you. Miracle Man, issue number one, Gaiman and Buckingham. Uh, yeah, you don't have to have read the prior stuff. Because I don't think all, you What do. you get in prior stuff is a... Very good, but a straight, pretty straight up superhero story where it's the superhero has lost his memory and he re- recovers it, and there's the repercussions of what had happened in. And I'll argue this though, you know, the thing is, to a modern audience, it's a pretty straight up superhero story. Yeah. I can remember, oh no, reading that yeah. and being blown away. That's because so much of what was done there has been echoed in issues and stories. Oh my since gosh! Then. Like just recently, <laughs> I'm trying to explain to my son uh, why Constantine. Uh, uh, was in Vertigo, what Vertigo was about, Uh what Swamp Thing, and trying to explain how this guy, Alan Moore, blew our minds... Probably shouldn't use that phrase with my eleven-year-old, you know. But you know, but that I mean, that's what I was saying. It was like running this narrative with him of like it was so groundbreaking, and now it's like, as I've said, it's parodied on Disney Channel cartoons. So you know, kids today they just don't know how uh, amazing this was. Now, who's doing this cover? Israeli. This is a new cover. Yeah, I don't know who painted it, but it's beautiful. I think it is Israeli. Yeah. So. Uh, it is, you know, parental adv- uh, parental advisory, mature content. It is bagged, and for a reason. Um, this is not to leave around for the kids because it's dealing with difficult themes. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm all for it. On a lighter note, however, by the kids, Figment Two, Number One, continuing the Disney Kingdom's book by Jim Zub. Uh, and I can't remember. And I, there's a there's a little article on that on Fanboy Planet as well uh, because I just love that Disney Kingdoms exists. And Figment is out of out of everything. This has been the most consistently, and also the the character I know nothing about because I'd never yeah. I've never been to Disney World, so I've never seen Figment in Dreamfinder. I have no memory. But East Coast friends, they love this. It's funny. You, you, Kingdom reminds me of the first Kingdom, which is what I was I was grasping for a descriptor for the uh, 
for the Miracle Man very, pages. Very different books. Figment, no, no, no. Figment and, uh, yes, and yes. the First Kingdom. But, but Miracle I Man. I don't know if you always and, know that. So. Yes. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. All right. So let's move to movies, shall we? Um, speaking of, back to Kevin Feige. No, back to Marvel. Last week after our podcast, uh, there was some leaked art that allegedly revealed the team's in civil war who's who's taking sides against each other we got a little bit of that at the end of ant-man right but but some of the oh uh, i'm going to finally see that Ant-Man on saturday how exciting oh. i saw it for the second time i feel that i need to go back and see it as well sorry i dropped my coke zero uh it was horrible uh anyway yeah we did see something at d23 that uh some footage that showed something but then the concept art which i think somebody just put it together i don't think i I think this is a leak if it's real i think it's also meant to be a feint oh as far as the team as far as who the teams are because well we know what cap tells falcon yeah i don't want to i don't want to give spoilers but basically as far as i could tell it it reversed what the footage we saw implied about black widow and hawkeye uh-huh at the very at the very least the, uh, art, the artwork you, the artwork did. yeah yeah so uh, the 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 footage that we saw and i don't want to call it a trailer because it was longer than a trailer would be uh-huh. but um there was just an implication of so i don't want to spoil because I, i'm sure there are some people who say i don't want to know i wanted to be surprised right, right, who right. sides up and i would agree with that so if you if you've run across this artwork I'll take that with a grain of salt too. Although I think there's a very bold image that I think Jeremy Renner tweeted out of Hawk, Hawkeye's new costume. So uh, and he has Ant Man on his shoulder. So I think you know it's a cool image. Let's just take it that for what it is. It, it's funny because and the Hawkeye costume is closer than it's ever been I was, to a comic. I was explaining costume. Civil War to Justin, and and it was kind of like. Well, it was all about having the superheroes give up their identities and register with the government. And the thing is, with the Marvel Universe, hardly anybody has a, secret identi- right. has, has a secret identity. And except they're bringing Spider-Man in. <laughs> right. So <laughs> this could be where they make the big mistake the second time and have him reveal his identity. But I don't think it's... But he's happen. not the only one uh, now who does have a secret identity. I think that... Um, you think Iron, uh, Ant-Man, Ant-Man has a secret identity. Yeah, Ant-Man's... Hawkeye sort of has a secret identity because he has a family that no one knows about. So he yeah. has secrets. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, you know, the footage we saw, again, was that you know, William Hurt is back as Thunderbolt Ross and saying one of the things is people just don't trust you. I think it's more about registering no, that you have powers. I think it's it's that you take your instructions from the, the government. government. Yeah. Which it's yeah. which is more a blending of that old storyline where they introduced Peter Peter Grinch. Um uh, Guy Rich. Guy Rich. Yeah. Well, Peter Grinch was the Dr. Right. Seuss uh written uh, Marvel series the that the redhead did, guy with the glasses. It strangely didn't sell well. Yes. Um anyway, Guy Rich. Uh, Peter Henry Guyrich, yeah. yes, uh, but the, that was when that was when the Avengers split from the government. Because and I think what that. is interesting is that you know one of the plots of Iron Man two was that he was not going to give, uh, you know, Tony Stark was not going to give his secrets to the government. He was not right. going to answer the right. government. And yet I think by here it seems like if it follows the way Civil War divided up is that uh, you know Tony Stark is probably on the government side. I, I think I could easily write around that and say, you know, 
if by the Mandarin controlling by cooperating with the government, he doesn't have to suffer being taken over. It's the Nine Rings. Yes, of course. Um, but you still haven't watched Hail to the King, have you? Hail to the, yeah, Hail to the King. The the short with Ben Kingsley on Thor: The Dark World. I haven't bought Thor: The Dark World. I'm oh, waiting for see. the collected edition. I think it's now. I've got to fairly say the spoiler that, that does reveal what most people thought is that there is a Mandarin. Yeah, and he's very angry that Ben Kingsley had uh, had been pretending to him. be him. Yeah. Yes, um, so it's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, DreamWorks is rumored to be returning to Universal because Spielberg's uh, DreamWorks distribution deal with Disney's about up. Uh, and so one of the things that Universal said is like, well, we, you know, what do we have old movies that we can remake? Spielberg's been part of the Jurassic Park, right? He's a producer there. And yes, exactly. They went, Lord knows we don't want to do anything new. They went to, uh, they went to the back to the future. Well, they said, you know, so possibly here's the thing. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who created back to the future said there will be a remake when we're dead. (laughs) So who's more powerful? Basically, if Robert Zemeckis shows up dead in the next year, right, you right. Know, <laughs> yes, found dead on the Simpsons ride. Right. It was Universal did it. And he's dressed in cowboy wear. <laughs> Biff is going, all right, butthead. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be interesting. I, I don't want a, a no. remake of Back to the Future. No. Some things really are just right. Yeah. Especially if they try to do another one and they try and mistakenly work it into the plot line of the prior ones. Yeah, I, I don't see any way in which that's perfect. That's why it would be such a failure if they tried. Yeah, I, I because the thing is, it's one of those that I think there are some older movies where I do get, especially when I see my ki- my kids. It's like as much as we as much as we loved, yeah, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And I know this is going to cause... It's funny. I was coming up with another another one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is that when I show that to my kids, it's like, well, the special effects are a little cheesy, so they have to adjust down to that. The pacing's a little different. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, I I don't know what's happening with it after Dwayne Johnson announced that, but, you know, I get it. I love Big Trouble in Little China, but I can see where a new version of it would uh, speak to... A next generation in a, in a in a different way. My immediate <gasps> candidate. I'm sorry, Nate. My immediate candidate was Escape from New York, which they've been rumored to be. I and both of those it, it ticks me off. Oddly enough, both starring. Yeah, uh, and they're both John Carpenter movies. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I, uh, I I yeah, I would not. Uh, I fought the idea of, of remakes of both of those, but I have to accept that. No, I was going over Escape from New York. I, I mean, I was I was thinking back to the you know like everything about that could be better if it was set reset in modern day. And well, I think what ki- what kids today miss is that those movies. Uh, man, I'm really sounding old, but I mean, John Carpenter was had to be a storyteller uh-huh. first and foremost, and find ways around. What budget. he could not actually do. Yeah, right. The budget. Right. So there's a creativity and energy that's missing uh, that, that I think would be you don't have to do with a modern film. It's like even the difference, you know, see, I think we talked about last week, watching Jurassic World versus The Lost World, the second one, where I, I think Jurassic World probably kinetically pound for pound was uh, a, a, a more thrilling film. Uh, but Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, still had out of animatronic figures there was a weight there was a heft there was Mm -hmm. cg was just used to sort of fill in the corners whereas 
for for Jurassic World, CG was the point. You know, everything was about how you know Greek can do that. So I I like the cheesiness, but I do understand my kids. That doesn't matter to them. Yeah. That you know, oh, there's a there's a raw energy to it. Dad, you're weird. You know, uh, and it's slow, and, and it's slow. Yeah. yeah. They kind of had fun. I mean, Luke's been doing this for a while. You know, the the salute of the of, of uh, lo, not low pans, uh, uh, you know, of the good guys in Big Trouble in Little China. So um, we've been, you know, there's been fun with that. But but I can see again, like you put Dwayne Johnson in there, mm-hmm. you know, junk captain of the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. All right. Bill Murray, however, speaking of, has returned to, uh, it was announced this week, uh, he has confirmed that he was in. in. I loved his statement. Uh, no, it was great. Yeah. He's going to be in the go- in Ghostbusters. It's not Ghostbusters 3, and it's really not a remake because my understanding, I could be wrong, but my understanding has been that it is set in the same universe. They're aware, but he's not going to play his character from the first two movies. He's playing a whole new character. He's almost in the William Atherton role hmm. of being the guy trying to shut them down. And his and yeah, his reasoning was how could he say no to Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy? They begged him, uh, but he says he loves that. You know, that he said he loves these guys and they're 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 he respects their yeah. work. So I, there is no better way to make everybody who was worried about Ghostbusters go well, all right, maybe. because you know, with the possible exception of of the Garfield movies. Uh, Bill Murray doesn't just stumble into crap, you know. Okay, and Charlie's Angels. But then he didn't come back for the second one because it was crap. Uh, you know, so. And nobody remembers that he was in Garfield. I do. I didn't see the first one. Strangely enough, I saw the second one. Because uh, Tim Curry was the was the lookalike. Uh, uh, the lookalike cat. Uh, so, uh, we're happy with that. Uh, rumored, by the way, for Star Wars Episode Eight, And what I find interesting about this rumor being... New leads, which tells me that really these episodes are all like different stories. Huh? Uh, Maybe in a in a dramatic uh, adventure, people could die. Yeah, the only one I know uh, that is listed on IMDb as definitely coming back for episode eight is uh, is Poe Dameron, hmm. the ex the X wing pilot, uh, is played by Oscar Isaac. Um, so he he's listed there, but they're rumoring that the female lead of episode eight, the actresses in the running, Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black, mm-hmm. Olivia Cook, who I don't know what she's from except that she's also rumored to be up for uh, Artemis in Ready Player One, so oh, that would be okay. interesting, uh, and Gina Rodriguez, who is the star of Jane the Virgin, uh, is they're all rumored to be up for the lead in episode eight, being directed by Ryan Johnson, who's the guy who did uh, Looper and I think Brick. <laughs> First and third are definitely different types of characters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. So, yeah. I you know I don't know, uh, but uh, I want to see what episode seven does. I want to see the Force Awaken before I I yeah. get really excited about episode eight or episode nine. I mean, and my my and that's the only the only downside of this is it it does feel too prefabricated right now when you know what the next four movies are. When part of the excitement of the first three was you didn't know i mean i'm just excited we're gonna get over the next six years we're gonna get six movies because we're gonna get rogue squadron and the han rogue one rogue one pardon me and it's been rogue squadron for so many years in the books. i know yeah in the comics um and then the the han solo 
solo film, yeah. film and the young Han Solo whatever film, yeah. whatever else they decide to do between uh, well if we get that nine. Boba Fett or the or Yoda the early years yeah it's like Kermit you know Yoda the swamp years <laughs> yeah <he> goes, <laughs> just Yoda. Yoda why are there so many Yoda um, with Yoda with Kermit arms when he was younger sheesh <laughs> anyway yeah but I would like to see Tatiana Maslany get Maslany get a big screen role yeah she's obviously an actress of fantastic uh, charisma and ability and she needs she needs a tent pole she yeah. does you know so uh, we have two losses to uh, we normally don't really talk, but, but just because they both feel so impactful in different ways. Yeah. On Sunday night, Wes Craven, of course, who affected the culture uh, in a very dark way, yeah. um, you know, with uh, a variety of films, but twice, really. So lightning struck twice with him because uh, you've got uh, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. He created Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm created. Street. Uh, and then he came in his work for hire, but he definitely set the tone for the Scream franchise, mm-hmm. uh, which is being remade. Is it on? Is it already started on MTV that they're doing a Scream the series? I don't I think it's out think yet. So yeah, but I know it's coming, if not already. Uh, not to be confused with the Fox series Scream Queens, right. uh, which actually is more interesting to me. But uh, but there it is. That uh, you know, unfortunately, he passed away very. Uh, I it guess started a, in June. Oh, really. See, we really haven't been paying attention, but Wes Craven had nothing to do with that. Uh, He had a very rapid decline from brain cancer, uh, from diagnosis to death, unfortunately, on Sunday night. And uh, so we we have lost a giant. And again, someone who who affected, you know, and and by his own admission, I think did better, uh, did more, uh, came close to art with horror films because no one would let him break out of the ghetto of it. You know, he did one, I guess you would call mainstream film music of the heart with meryl streep as a violin teacher uh she got uh she got an oscar nomination of course uh because she always does uh by law uh so you know realize that that one of her nominations came from a Wes craven directed film and then no one let him direct i guess it wasn't that you know popular uh, a film that successful a film financially but uh so he stayed doing horror and some good some bad uh, you know, he made quite an impact originally with Last House on the Left and then The Hills Have Eyes. And, you know, yeah. these are titles that people just know. And he was involved in three of the Freddy Krueger movies. He co-wrote uh, The Dream Warriors, which is my second favorite after the first one. And then he came back with Freddy's New Nightmare, which was the uh, the kind of metatextual one that basically said that uh, the, the girl, the actress from the first Nancy. one. Nancy. But the actual actress. Um, who looks a lot like Nancy Kerrigan, but can actually act. Yes, but I can't remember her actual name. Because she plays herself in New Nightmare. It, right. And and it's that Freddy, uh, a much more savage, darker version of Freddy, was lurking at the edge of the subconscious and is trying to break through into reality by haunting everyone who is involved in the franchise. It's a really trippy movie. Uh, I don't think it always succeeds, uh, but Heather Langenkamp. Thank you, Heather Langenkamp. Which I can re- I met her when that movie first opened, and that and this is something people can't again one of those people can't fathom. So I, we're to this theater in Westwood, a fourplex where we had the Terminator and Amadeus, and we had this really tiny little houses, and that's where Nightmare on Elm Street opened. Was in like the the theater that seated 150 because it was nothing. No one knew right. what it was. Right. No one knew what it was going to be, and 
um, she came to the theater and asked if we would let her in for free to see it because she hadn't seen the movie. She hadn't been invited. They hadn't had a premiere. So, you know, we, we let her in. Cause like, yeah, we recognize you. you we, we watch you get killed every night. You know, hope that's not awkward. Uh, you know, but, um, you know, so it was just how little that, how small that was. And yeah. then, then the, uh, you know, one of the worst of the franchise, the second one, um, you know, then opened at like the biggest theater in Westwood, because by that time, Freddie had become insanely huge. We should also note, Wes Craven directed one superhero movie, which was Swamp Thing. So oh, yeah. he, you know, he gave the brought kind of Swamp Thing into people's uh, into the mainstream's consciousness for a while. People think it was a horror film. People forget that it was a DC superhero, basically. Um, and you know, I don't think he directed. No, Jim Wynorski directed the second one. The Return of Swamp Thing, which was strange and tried to cram all of uh, all of Alan Moore's work into one film on a on a Roger Corman budget, so of uh, a lot of talking. It's just it's just weird. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, you know, it, it, luckily that was sort of redeemed by the television series that people forget happened on the USA Network. But that was you know. But anyway, so that was Wes Craven, and the other one who passed away today was uh, Dean Jones, an actor who sort of faded away in the last few years. But I'd say just as Rick and I just came out of D23 a few weeks ago, realizing the impact of of a certain time in Disney films. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember who I was oh, with my friend Sam Park. He was saying, like, it's too bad he didn't get a chance to really do impactful work. And I said, you know, I'm, he was a better actor than he was often given a chance to be. But I'd say there's something impactful about an entire generation growing up knowing him. Yeah, he was always the, he was always the safe Disney character. Yeah. You know, he was in that darn cat. He was in. Uh, he wasn't in the cat. That was Love Ken Berry and Cat from uh, yeah, Love Bug. He was in, yeah. uh, um, and was in a. There was a Love Bug television series they tried in 1982. He appeared. I remember this because I, I had forgotten that Bruce Campbell was in a TV remake of the Love Bug. Only it wasn't a remake. They said it was a sequel, and Dean uh-huh. Jones showed up to make sure that Herbie was okay. Like he passed the torch, and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, passed the baton. I guess is the phrase. You know, really, right. that. Oh, you know, it was still set in the same universe. It was same continuity, and those are things that make me go, "Yay!" And then I, you know, I realize I need that Bruce Campbell movie because it's Bruce Campbell. That what an awesome choice that was, you know. Um, but he was in a, uh, the Million Dollar Duck, and right. I think he was in the Ugly Dachshund. And is he the lead in Blackbeard's Ghost too, opposite uh, Peter Ustinov? Oh, that does seem about it does seem right. I was trying to find a decent list, but what I had not realized was he was uh, he won a Golden Globe for being in Million Dollar Duck of all things wow and you know so um and then of course he was he was famously and infamously in the original production of steven sondheim's company on broadway and it is just weird that just a few months ago that i'd found out i knew that he had left and it's like they've talked about that there was this infamous thing that dean jones only played the role for a month before leaving uh and if you don't know that musical company it's about uh, uh guy bobby who is surrounded by all these married friends uh it's about being single in your mid-30s in new york and trying to decide you know is there a point in having a relationship is marriage worth it blah 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 and his marriage was falling apart as he was in rehearsals for this show and so i had not he, known he claimed he was just exhausted by at the time being in the show at yeah. the time but i listened to uh, but i was listening to the serious broadway channel and just a few months ago uh, the company was being discussed and they and it was first time i'd understood yes his marriage is falling apart and the pain of 
dealing with that coupled with playing this with a character questioning whether or not marriage was worthwhile was too much but he stayed for a month to establish because the producer begged him and said you know if you open this show it'll survive and then larry kurt who had been broadway's original tony in west side story took over the role and actually they said early enough that he uh, larry kurt was the one who was nominated for the tony for it didn't win but uh, but Dean Jones is on the original cast album, and so again, a character who, uh, an actor who, you know, um, life took him in different directions. Some of the movies we missed were he was in Monkeys Go Home, uh, Blackbeard's Ghost, Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit. Uh, two of those I haven't seen. Uh, Actually, three. I don't think I've seen all of Blackbeard's Ghost either. He was in um, Sugarland Express, and uh, let's see, there was one other kind of interesting one. Uh, where is it? Uh, computer Computer Wars Tennis Shoes, which was another another. Disney. I don't. Was he? I don't think. Oh, he, here's the other one. He was. Uh, he was a voice um, in Batman and Mister Freeze. Uh, Sub Zero. Yeah. Yes, somebody pointed that, that out to me today. I think it was Greg Espinosa. Um, and TV and Superman the TV series in 1997. The Lois and Clark. It's a Superman TV series, Colonel Sam Lane. Wow, that I don't remember yeah. at all. I'm going to have to... Was Superman TV series? I, that's got to be uh, Lois and Clark, because 97? I think that would be about the right time. But Yeah, and I think, unless you're looking that up on... Uh, uh, this is I, IMDb. Oh! I don't think he's in Computer War Tennis uh, Shoes. They're going for the animated... It's an animated series. Oh, he's in this. Oh, he's in the animated series. Right, he's the Jones. voice of Sam, okay. Sam Lane. That makes sense. Lois's father. So, yes, General yeah. Sam Lane. Uh, what did I just watch? Oh, because I just watched the uh, new Lego one, The Attack of the Legion of Doom. Ah. And Sam Lane is in that as well uh, as a character. So fun, fun uh, one that just came out. So anyway, uh, let us, uh, we're, we're nearing the end. Let's talk about television. Before uh, I wake Nate up, or maybe this is the whole section that was up. We was announced that uh, River Song Alex Kingston is going to meet the Twelfth Doctor, uh, face Peter Capaldi in the Doctor Who Christmas special this year, which is interesting because Peter Capaldi had said, "I really, really, really want Alex Kingston." You know, I, you yeah. think of the sparks that will fly between them. I want to see a cat fight between the Master and River Song. Ooh, something, something I hadn't even thought about. Fantastic. Uh, so anyway, but I don't want to put Nate to sleep. Uh, I didn't really have any TV news. We're in sort of this lull as we wait for things. Uh, you know, I'm oh, Doctor to- Who, uh, September 15th and 16th, the 3D showing well, of right. the season finale Which, uh, last we, year we in did, 3D. We did talk about that. We yeah. talked about that. Well, I, you I'm know. just mentioning it because it's my birthday. I'm going. Oh, okay. And that's Rick's subtle way of reminding us that it'll be his birthday. birthday. Uh, Because the 19th is when the actual uh, show resumes. Uh, That'll be a hot time at the hotel uh, for the convolution on the, uh, will be a convolution October 2nd through 4th. So the third uh, night there. Hmm. That'll be interesting. Uh, Hotel full of Doctor Who fans with Doctor Who being shown. A new episode. Should be fun. They'd better get BBC America at that hotel. That's all I can say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, the, like I said, it's kind of a holding pattern as we wait for shows to start, but I do want to uh, say, Nate, have you been watching Fear the Walking Dead? Of course. And what do you think? I have not watched it yet, I've watched the first two episodes. Now yeah, too. that's all they've been, right? Yeah. Two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like it. 
I think that a lot of people, and I understand a lot of people's problem with it. The problem is they're starting, they're starting the audience off in the same boat as the characters. The audience knows this is a zombie apocalypse or a zombie outbreak, whatever you want to call it. The characters don't, and they're not doing a great job of saying, hey, audience, you know they don't, but we're going to still make it somehow suspenseful. Because it's like, okay, it's a zombie, let's get to the point. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the audience is feeling about it. You see and that's the- what I've heard in terms of the only... Uh, criticisms I've heard of it is that it's going too slow and we already know what's going on so get down to it you, you, the, you, the, one, of the, one of the points I'd put on that would be in the first episode we get this kind of fake dodge where we think the principal may be a zombie but he's actually just hunched over listening to the, mm-hmm. the classrooms and when he actually is a zombie in the second episode he's the most clumsily introduced not at all suspenseful kind of lumbers into the scene and we know what's going on and right. the only thing that does is to introduce the fact that people don't know how to deal with these these guys yet they don't know to worry mm-hmm. about the bite you know they don't um they're the zombies are i don't know if they're, they're going to try and say something about the way that older zombies act versus brand but that doesn't work within the show the zombies seem different than they are in walking dead are you getting that too nate yeah, they're like, supposed to be more fresh in like this maybe show. The, but we've had fresh zombies because people... Well, who maybe are, the virus mutated. Yeah, I'm thinking they've got to have a case for the virus mutating. But it's right. it just feels a little weird at this point. Hmm. Well, I I do have to check it out. I, I believe it. I think I saw it was on Hulu. I just didn't have time. I wasn't going to watch it when I had my kids. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. Was the, you know, no way is that going to work. So... All right, so uh, th- I think that wraps it up for this evening. One more TV oh, thing. Oh, please do, Nate. <laughs> uh, I posted on Facebook, but after the VMAs, which they simulcast. I can't believe I forgot this. I'm sorry, because I did see that you, that you saw Oh, it. my God, Derek. Uh, you go away, I forget about you. For some reason, they simulcast the VMAs on every Viacom cable channel, it seems like. They had it on... BET Comedy Central for some reason so so that no one could escape it exactly <laughs> TV Land and MTV scattershot you're bound to hit somebody but on TV Land right at the end of the uh, broadcast they showed the pilot episode of Teachers which is the show that I worked uh, on yeah from March through May and the only part of Teachers that was actually shot the only part of the pilot that was shot by us was the very last scene uh they had to do a reshoot but other than that the whole thing was already done uh-huh um but it was hilarious i hadn't seen any of it i hadn't read the script for it and i thought it was really funny i mean um, check and see if comcast has it on demand so that i can yeah i know that we were talking about it the other day because somebody else asked if it would be online or if it would be on demand and uh, when uh, they showed the first episode of Glee after the Super Bowl, yeah. and then it was like months before Glee came out, yeah, I think that Glee was fairly available. Okay, I hope so, because I, I do want to catch it. I've discovered, for the, anybody else who's going to say, there's a weird thing with TV Lens. I, do you know if that show's in high def? 
Because I keep uh, defaulting I have to high it, def. I have it on Uverse and high def. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if everyone because not all the TV Land shows are available in high def, and that's and that threw me off. Like because I was really excited for the Jim Gaffigan show, and then couldn't find it for a couple of weeks, and then realized it's because it's not an HD version, and I keep going to the HD side huh. of oh, you know, so just just a weird little thing, and went oh, yeah. you know, that's fine because I'm sure it probably saves them a little money to not shoot in high def. So uh, anyway, that's great. So, so look, you don't have the HD TV Land channel? Yeah, I you- do. But Jim Gaffigan just doesn't. It didn't have a. It, it wasn't available on demand that way. So oh. I, I don't. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Well, Comcast occasionally does things a little strangely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's shot in HD. Okay, I'll check. Cool. Along with Impastor as well. Have you Which watched got that renewed? One? No, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, they both got renewed. I was surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, not surprised in that I think they're bad, but surprised that they got renewed so quickly. Yeah. And I'm good. hoping they do the same thing for teachers because I wouldn't mind working on that again. No, good. Seems like I had a really good relationship with them from the interview that was uh, one of our Comic Con backlogs here from a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah early yeah. 400 episodes. Was that with our Ash versus Evil Dead? Which again, yep. uh, yes, looking forward to that. So that then wraps it up for this evening. Uh, of course, again, any questions, comments, compliments, com- criticism, commentary, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. I am Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. I'm Dave Costa. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use Use your your powers powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. The power of brains compels you! test test and we're recording and so do you run so we're gonna uh, well, do let me ask a, a question nate because yes. I, I don't know if you've been listening but when you do the intro do you say fanboy or fanboys I say fanboys that's what i thought keep it up we had a little debate did you hear the controversy did you listen to the podcast no we caused a brouhaha in your absence what more of a brouhaha <laughs> because rick was saying it singular and then right. we got into a debate on the air saying that I thought you said well, it was a debate. It was a, it was a fierce fist fight of a debate. I said a debate. What? I said it's a debate. And uh, he, he said it's fanboy because people listen on their, by themselves. And I thought, well, that's fair. But I thought Nate was saying fanboys. And then uh, a listener wrote in and said it's a call to community. So he liked the idea of the plural. Although and I agreed. We are encouraging uh, family listening planet listening parties. parties. Uh, so <laughs> we should come out with a listening party kit, <laughs> something they can print out and use at home. Okay, let me think about that. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it's definitely going the outtakes. <laughs> I think. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, wow. Yes. What would you? Okay, that's almost a contest. What do you need? What do you need for a fanboy <laughs> planet listening party? Has to be, and it has to be able to be printed out or, or assembled from things you would normally find around the house. 
Right, and uh, and we and the winner will get carpentry know, staples. We'll even attend if they're in Los Angeles or or the San Francisco Bay Area. However, if we discover that we're the only people invited to the party, <laughs> we're turning right around before you offer us lotion to put on our skin. Yeah, a little okay. doll comes out in a roll. Okay, all right, Nate, go. Are yeah. you ready? Have you warmed up? La, 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 yes, la, I la, just uh, sipped some water. I'm ready to go. La, 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 la. You know, you're not. Is that cold water? What's that? Is that cold water or, or is it room temperature? It's uh, slightly cooler than room temp. Uh, you're supposed to warm or room temperature water only? No, no. Yeah, I only no. drink cold water. Yeah, okay. And this is... Your your nodules are not going to be good <laughs> This is you. why you're working for Nickelodeon. Yeah. All okay. Right. In three... Two, one. Ooh, listen up, fanboy. Yeah, well, uh, another unrelated question. I was going to ask you this during the the uh, Fear the Walking Dead, but um. Who do you think the first shocking death is going to be? I don't know. I was trying to figure that out the other night because, I mean, the one kid's a heroin addict, so obviously... Not him. Yeah. You would think, oh, he's going to be dead anyway. No, he's going gonna, he's gonna to be the big turnaround. He's going to be the, the, the big... He's going to end up being the... I think he's like the main winner. character, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's the one they started. He's the first character on camera. Yeah. But maybe the sister. I think it's going to be the father. I don't know. He's kind of one of those up and coming guys. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to get where, like, he's not a huge name, but he's not an unknown. I think the sister or the other brother. The turd that's at the protests for some ridiculous reason. Watch this. Oh, the oh yeah, he could be. He could be. But I mean, all the kids, everybody in the show is it's. That's one of the frustrating things. Is it's like a horror movie. Yeah. You're sitting here saying, "Idiot, don't do that," and they just. Yeah. Do well, that's that's the whole point. I and mean, when you're watching The Walking Dead. Um, you know, everyone knows, unless they're a religious leader that's on there for a couple of right. um, everyone knows how they're supposed to deal with these things. Right. Um, but in this one, I, it's, it's kind of like, I was, I was driving somewhere during the middle of the day recently and traffic was so light. I'm thinking, has the zombie apocalypse happened? Are people staying? No, because that's the thing. People aren't, it isn't that that people are turning into zombies. It's a lot of people are staying home. Right. And so it's a little weird. Like they, this girl has a birthday party and they've got an inflatable house out in front of her house, but none of the kids are showing up. I'm saying this for Derek's sake. No, so. right. No, because that explains the inflatable house they had at uh, Comic-Con. Oh yeah. Yeah. And of course later the inflatable house happens to be part of a nighttime activity where somebody who's obviously been a zombie is chasing someone yeah. around in their front yard. There were blood smears on the house. Yeah. 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 I took a close-up of that. Yeah. That was the most disturbing part of that entire installation. 
I thought it was clever. They got me. They got yeah, it was the, uh, I was really down on it after the first episode. The second episode brought me back in, but I'm still kind of like, yeah, so I won't. Sort of like, you know, I won't mind if this ends up being like a sh- mini series and doesn't go on for multiple seasons. It's kind of entertaining as it is. Renewed to sec- season two. Yeah. Did you watch the end of Wayward Pines? Yeah. 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 I wasn't very happy with the the, ending? the way they shot the ending. Yeah, I felt uh, that was a that was a that was suddenly the thing that reminded me. Oh, it's an M Night Shyamalan. I felt like they threw that ending on. You know what it reminded me of? The un unplayed ending to um, uh, Army of the Dead. Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Yeah, it didn't fit. Right, because they they have him go. He leaves, and then and then they show. Yeah. They show the happy ending, but if they had gone to the to right. the ending where he wakes up in the future, yeah. that undercuts yeah. everything else. Yeah, that was sort of like the ending of the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't. I, I the idea that that even given what he was trying to do with that ending, I wasn't happy the way he shot it. Yeah, just the the kid walking through and yeah. the ambiguity of it all. Yeah, so. I don't know if it's going to a season two. I don't want a season two. I thought it was perfect until that ending. And yeah. Then it, and then it ruined it. Yeah. Because so. <sighs> it did something that I never thought anybody would ever make me do, which was cry for Matt Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wow, miracle. And then you and then you sh- put that, sh- that shitty ending on, and I went, all right, you, you, you had me, and you lost me. Yeah. It was, yeah. So anyway, I think we'll wrap up and clean up because it's, it's a shorter episode. We can yeah. get to bed at these times. I can be out of here before Deb gets home. Hour and 20 She won't even know I was there. Oh, she'll know. Damn it. Of course she will. Because you got your... uh, She always knows. You finally got your receipt and everything, right? Yeah. You picked that up. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Gentlemen. Sir. Make us proud. It was awesome being back on the show. Great to have you back. We'll talk to you later. All right, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. See ya.